Hello and welcome to the Conrad Life Report uh, for April 17th, 2019. This is episode 19. Uh, This is actually take two of this recording because, um, well, let's see, right now it is about 10.15 or so in the evening and um, I woke up early to record this podcast episode this morning and uh, once again, I'm doing it for the second weekend, second episode in a row on my phone via the GarageBand mobile app. And I made the same mistake I made the first time I did this, which was the last time, which is um, on the first run through, I forgot to uncheck the default GarageBand recording setting, which defaults to eight bars as defined by, I guess, whatever, some average default, meaning an average <laughs> BPM time. So basically recorded my first like 40 seconds, but I went ahead and and uh, I went on for about 25 more minutes. And then when I was done, I was like, oh, I don't have to press stop because it appears to have stopped. And then I was like, oh, I don't think it recorded it. Um, and it was, yeah, the file size was like six megs as opposed to the usual 90 or 100 or something. So I was like, oh, that's... Yeah, it didn't record it, which was a bummer because when I wake up in the morning early, I have several options open to me, um, which is I can go for a run. I can pack, make my lunch and pack it. I can sit, make coffee and sit in my chair or I can like uh, record this on those days where I have to record it. And um, by the way, this is all like when I'm the first person to wake up, meaning this is how I take advantage of my glorious alone time in the morning. Um, anyway, so that was a bit of a bummer, but you know it is what it is, and I, I said, okay, well, I will do it the next morning. But then I was supposed to have rehearsal tonight with my band, Garden of the Ark, but Baxter has a fever, Craig isn't feeling well, so um, all of a sudden I have time to do it. So let's do it, take two. I hope this is still recording. I think it is. The um, All of the uh, sort of functional buttons look the same as when I pressed record at the very beginning here. Speaking of Garden of the Ark, by the way, we are playing our next show, which will probably be show number seven or so of ours. Um, it's going to be at a place called the Kingsland, which is in sort of Williamsburg, the eastern part of Williamsburg, but not... East Williamsburg in the southern part of Greenpoint. I think technically it's in Greenpoint. And um, so that's on, it's after Labor Day, I think is May 26th or 7th or something, whatever the um, Wednesday is. I, I will obviously remind listeners of this podcast about that um, in the future. But yeah, it's at the Kingsland. Uh, and it's a newish venue. It seems to have, do have some pretty cool stuff. And I um G G chatted my friend um at Brook Dave at Brooklyn Mr. Brooklyn Vegan. I was like, Hey, do you know this venue? And it is it legit and good? And he wrote yes and yes. And I was like, Great. And I was like, Cool. So we're playing there. But we're not practicing tonight, which is too bad. But um because we need to get in a few practices before the show. Even though we have a ten tendency to be to shake off the rust pretty quickly. Still, it's nice to get that muscle memory back. Um, we always practice at this place called Complete in Prospect Heights, which is um, 
on St. Mark's and Vanderbilt. It's been there for a long time. It's a cool place. It has like, you know, rehearsal rooms for rent. It has three sort of biggish production rooms, three smallish rehearsal rooms. And then upstairs they have like storage space, which some big time bands have stores up there. Like, um, and, um, yeah, so we, we practice there since none of us have a dedicated practice space anymore. And, uh, practice there a few times over the years. Um, the national, we rehearsed there, um, for a while in 2010 for high violet. And, um, I remember in like 2007 in like March, uh, I went to like, uh, the band played boxer for like about 10 of us and it was awesome. I was like, Oh, this is very good. Good work guys. Um, so it's funny to like all these years later, still be regularly going to this place to, uh, play music, but it's a cool little place right next to Ample Hills ice cream. Um, and on the, on the street corner that has, uh, the cupcake shop and also Zaytunes. Um, anyway, so yes, but anyway, we didn't practice tonight, but I will get there at some point soon. Um, let's see. The big news is it's nice and springtime and weathery and the leaves are on the trees and my afternoon constitutionals at work are, uh, more and more above ground and outdoors as opposed to walking through the Rockefeller center underground concourse, which I love. I do love the concourse. Um, cause I have a, I have a fondness for long indoor walkways. Um, like I love walking around large airport terminals, for example. I love the way that flat, comfortable carpet feels under my feet. Um, not that the rock center carp concourse has carpet, but I like, I like long, long corridors that aren't specifically made for just strolling, but, um, <laughs> but I like take, I like strolling. I like putting on a podcast or, um, listening to music and just walking around for 15 minutes. But now, um, now that it's warm, I walk down to like Bryant Park, do a loop. Speaking of Bryant Park and walking through there, there was a crazy article in the opinion section of the New York Times today with a nice interactive element um, about how they used the, they scraped the public um, webcam feeds and they were able to like hire some sort of two-bit operation that does facial recognition. And within a day they had recognized, they had identified some people and they reached out to one of them Um and it raised all these interesting questions, which is, of course, like there's privacy issues, obviously. Um, but, you know, it's like it's, um, you know, even if you're not trying to hide anything, even if you're totally legal, it's like kind of weird. Like, for example, the guy that they identified who agreed to speak to the Times on the record, he was saying, yeah, well, yeah, that gentleman you saw me walking with, I was actually sort of interviewing him for a job. So it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well. Obviously, both of these people are not doing anything wrong, but you know, if the guy may not have wanted to have anyone know, certainly not <laughs> uh, webcams, that he was speaking to someone about a job opportunity. So raises all these issues, um, which we're just going to have to live with, I think, because that's the way of the world, kind of. Um, I think some things we can fight back against, other things we kind of can't, and I feel like the combination of ubiquitous webcams along with um, the ability to scrape these feeds and also feed them into facial recognition engines is just kind of that ship has left the dock, I feel like. So what do we do? 
I don't know, except know that it's out there. Um, speaking of tracking, um, I wanted to point out that I've been enjoying the newsletter by um, uh, Rex Sorgatz, who is a Battery Park City-based um, media, digital media consultant slash um, person about town. Um, nice guy. I love talking to him whenever I um, infrequently actually run into him um, socially. But he has a new newsletter called Rex, R-E-C-S, which is obviously a, um, what do you call it, a homonym pun? Well, it's punny and it's homonym-like, um, but because his name is Rex, R-E-X, but Rex, R-E-C-S, short for recommendations. It's it's um, in the uh, recommended link newsletter genre, but I've subscribed to many of these over the years, and I generally go through phases with them where I like them a lot, and then I kind of st- stop opening them. But I like his. Um, he doesn't write too much, which I always like, because you, know, you just kind of want to consume these quickly, at least I do, or at least be able to... Sk- scan and and get an overview quickly so he generally includes like four or five bullet points which with the first one um being given a little more um character count like a paragraph but what i was going to bring up is i think he's had like eight newsletters now eight issues but um brought up an interesting thing about how like the news the new york times again had an article on how the email newsletter itself um, as a form of media is the quote-unquote new social media um, in the sense that it, I guess, I think what they were what they meant was that it's like, it is sort of like these, the current best way to um, disseminate um, published articles um, and, or, or not just articles, but like just sort of spread a message, whether that's a um message of a publisher, whether that's a personal message, whether that's something else. Um, and they talk about how like uh, it's better than say other forms of social media sharing because obviously with newsletters, or not obvious if you don't if you've never thought about it or run one, but um, you know, there are many metrics available to you when you send out a newsletter via a newsletter sending platform like um, like a consumer f- a, a consumer-facing one is Mailchimp that most people have heard of, because uh, you have a lot of you have a lot of metrics available to you. You can see, obviously, the email address itself, which sometimes gives away the name of the person, the subscriber. Um, sometimes people will give you your name when they've signed up for it, you know, via a first name last name field, um, and you can just about all the time. I can't. I'm sure there's situations where you can't see it, but you can see what device they're opening it on. You can see the browser. Um, obviously, they're almost all the time their geo, their location. Um, so you know a lot about these people. And Rex notes that it's kind of creepy, which it is. It's like every time I open a, a link on Rex's newsletter, for example, he's going to know that me, Conrad Doucette, um click two of his links while sitting well in New York City on um, I guess like say Chrome browser on a desktop or if I happen to do it on my phone on like you know an, an iPhone 8 or actually do they do not devices can't I can't remember if you can tell the device they can certainly tell your operating system so it'll be like iOS 12 or whatever we're at right now um, so yeah it's a little creepy Um 
with this pod, so circling back around to sort of like this podcast, um, I I don't make a big deal about this podcast. I'm not trying to like grow subscribers. I like the fact that like basically people I know and or people that know of me via common friends or common interest or something are listening, and that's kind of it. And I don't need to know too much more. Um, I'm sure I'd be interested. Like if I had deep analytics, I'd probably check it out once, but. For me, part of the enjoyment of doing of of doing this is that um, I'm doing it for kind of artistic, you know, not to sound like you know that guy, but doing it for artistic slash fulfillment reasons. And I like not knowing. I like being <laughs> sort of out of the loop, or I like the metrics of it being very vague. Like I can tell how many how many listens I've done because it's almost impossible to like not see those numbers when you do it in say SoundCloud. But um, yeah, I, I you know for this it's like this is just another arm of my my very f- personally fun life logging activities. Like I keep a journal, I check in on Foursquare, I write this podcast or I record this podcast. Even though I will probably never listen to these, I like knowing I've done it. Um, so anyway. <laughs> podcast can be the anti-newsletter in the sense like I kind of don't know who's listening um, but except for when people actually tell me in person which I do like um, I enjoy that very much because I feel like kind of made a person-to-person connection um, which is nice and um, it's a nice it's a nice sort of um, spark of light in <laughs> a very chaotic world Um Anyway, so did I have any more notes about the uh, this whole podcast thing? Oh yeah, one final thing was, um, well, two things to continue on this whole like vague metrics that I like being in the dark. It's somewhat related. I thought I wrote down this note when I was when I thought of this, and I wrote it down in the notebook I carry everywhere with me. But um, it's kind of like my 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 sort of like analog habit, which has been in great resurgence lately. But um. You know, I put in a tape and it's like I'm playing this tape and I don't know when my most recent tape listening of that was. Whereas like on say a Spotify, I can see I recently listened to this or that or whatever. Just kind of like knowing that, you know, or on iTunes, it's like you've listened to this 123 times. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I sort of like the vagueness of it because in a sense it frees my mind from even subconsciously tracking it because there are other things I want to track because I do like tracking stuff, but... I want to track what I did and what I felt, and I don't necessarily need to track. Um, I don't necessarily need to be faced with numbers every time I do something. Um, anyway, the final note from that Rex newsletter, um, which which was like I think two ago, probably sent two weeks ago. If you go look up his newsletter, which I recommend you do, um, he re- he refers to like there's you know been a bunch of media articles about like. The re- like podcasting's big explosion. Podcasting is an industry because Spotify bought Gimlet and all these. Spotify bought someone else. I can't remember who it is right now. Um, but anyway, people are saying, "Is this like has it hit its ceiling? Is podcast over? Is it uh, is it leveling out?" And he says, "Like absolutely not. It's ba- the potential is barely tapped because it's an entirely new medium and it's just only going to grow. It's not like because um, when you think about it, it's like nowhere near the levels of like." 
ubiquity and dissemination that, say, a television is on any level of television, um, streaming, broadcast, cable, local. Um, so it's an interesting point. It's like, wow, it's, podcasting really isn't going away. So um, thanks, Adam Curry, for the podcasting name, which I'm referring to Adam Curry, the lar- the, bl- the big blonde hair MTV VJ, who I'm pretty sure is credited with coming up with the name podcasting, I think. Anyway, um, so moving on to more just regular stuff that I did. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, like I said, it's getting warmer out. Went to some places for food stuff. Let's see, if you live in the Cobble Hill, Carroll Gardens neighborhood of Brooklyn, there's a new Asian restaurant called Ichiba Kitchen on Smith Street. Um, it's kind of an Asian fusion place. Pretty good. Um, food takes a while to come out, but when it does, it's it's great. So um, I love it. Went with the whole family, meeting Julie and Oliver, and also like my nieces and brother and sister-in-law and... It's in the old place of Phil and Ann's Good Time Lounge, which was a reviled, completely failed bar slash restaurant that was open for a year, um, co-owned by Phil, I can't remember his last name, who owns the much-loved, including by me, Daddy-O in the West Village. Um, but he opened this place with Ann Burrell, who is a celebrity chef, I guess. And um, well, she's a celebrity because even I know who she is. Um, but... I guess they apparently fought from the beginning, from even before it opened, which, by the way, the storefront was there. The signage was up for six months before they even opened their doors. Um, But I guess they fought like tooth and nail and they don't like each other anymore and it closed really fast. But also in that space before that failed place was Char Number 4, which was there for years and which people loved. And it had great food, mildly Southern, influenced with a ton of great bourbons. Um... So anyway, hopefully this place will be a nice, will somewhat live up to the char number four legend. I don't think it will. I think it's just a nice serviceable um, restaurant, but I liked it and I think I'll go back. Um, let's see, it was Julie's birthday last week. We all went to Sam Juan uh, Barbecue, Sam Juan Garden on 32nd Street in Koreatown and that was great. You know, we sat at tables, Korean barbecue, that type of place. Um, egg souffle is an underrated dish to get at uh, a Korean restaurant. Just like, oh, it's just um, savory and wonderful. And it sounds better than its name, at least to me, egg souffle on, it doesn't sound awesome, but it is awesome. Um, Then after that, we all went to H Mart. I bought some Korean sort of like corn puffs, which taste really good. Their flavor on the, the few English words on the packaging says umami sea salt. And I was like, yes, I'll buy that. Um, and then Julie was looking at the packaging. She was like, do you know that it says you may be consuming lead? And I'm like, well, I guess it's okay if I have one bag of umami Korean corn puffs a year. Um, I'll have a little lead, the little lead that comes with it. Um, anyway, other great place I went to, not that great, but um, Chuck E. Cheese, uh, on the first Sunday of every month, they open up early, Sunday morning at like 9, and they purposely keep all of the noise and loud lights and noise and everything down so that people that sort of do not like that stuff, kids that don't like that, can go. So um, Oliver falls into that group, um, and quite frankly, so do I. 
So we went there for like 30 minutes and it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to play like we had an unlimited game card. So even I played, I played that little basketball thing where you, where you try to, you know, make shots and you know, you miss a bunch of shots until you get on a hot streak that comes right at the end and then your time runs out. Um, but yeah, so we were there for about 30 minutes and then all of a sudden, man, I was ready to get out of there. Out of nowhere, I was like, I got to get out of this place. And thankfully, Oliver was pretty okay with leaving too. Um, so yeah, Chuck E. Cheese, first time in a Chuck E. Cheese in a very long time. I think actually since, not not going back to when I was a kid, but um, I was in a Chuck E. Cheese in 1993 in Salt Lake City when I drove around North America for a month seeing the dead and also visiting friends that lived in far-flung corners of the continent. And um, my Canadian friends, because I went my with my high school friends, I went to high school in Canada, um, they didn't have Chuck E. Cheese and they were kind of fascinated by it. And we drove by one in Salt Lake City and I was like, we were looking for dinner. I was like, guys, you do not want to go there. They're like, come on, it's pizza, games. And we walked in and then they took a look around and a minute later they're like, uh, yeah, let's go. I was like, yeah, good idea. Um, so um, yeah, like I said, pretty sure that was my first time in a Chuck E. Cheese in over 20 something years. Um, anyway, what else? Took Oliver to the playground that opened two years ago or a year and a half ago under the F train on Smith Street called St. Mary's Playground. It's that playground that's um, around Nelson or Huntington or whatever where the F train comes out of the Carroll Street station and on its way all the way up to the Smith and Ninth Street station. Um, it's a great playground. It's like completely modern. Man, these new playgrounds are really awesome like they just have so many little neat little subtle things you wouldn't think of and like like the rope stuff that you kind of climb up is super taut like you know you can climb easily there's not a lot of give um they have these little like kind of tubes you can climb up that are i don't know you know if, if a kid has access to a brand new playground these days that's um it's pretty lucky it's a good 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 playground Let's see, also played a gig this week, played a show with my usual crew of people uh, at Threes, loosely based out of Threes Brewing. It was with um, Ray Rizzo, Annie Nero, David Nagler, Stephanie Sanders, David Marshall, Mike Phillips, um, Andrew Vladek played a song with us, um, and... The idea of this show was uh, the theme was called Phil's and Phil's, meaning P-H-I-L and F-I-L-L. So people named Phil as well as drum fills. So the first song of the night was Easy Lover by Philip Bailey and Phil Collins, which also has some great drum fills. We did Tom Sawyer by Rush, which has a lot of great drum fills. We did Fire by Jimi Hendrix. We did Jamie's Cryin' into Wild Thing by Tone Loke, which of course samples the Jamie's Cryin' drum fill. We also did Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison into the Grateful Dead Shakedown Street back into Poison using as a tether to all of those um, changes the um, drum break in Poison, which is the um so it was a lot of fun, and we had three drummers. We had Ray on drum kit, me on Roto Tom's hi-hat and timbale, and we had Joe Russo um, on concert toms and Istanbul clap, which is a small 
three stacked splash curved simple thing that Istanbul makes, which basically sounds like a kind of a closed hi-hat chick sound. It was really cool. So um played that show and it was super fun. And um <laughs> yeah, just a fun set. Um let's see. Uh the next set I'm gonna play with those guys is we're gonna be doing our play, playing as I Get Wild, our talking heads band. Um and that's going to be June 12th, I think it is, 11th or 12th, whatever the Tuesday of that week is, June. And um, it's the same night as night one of the Nationals, two shows at Prospect Park, which is a bit of a pickle because um, basically any of our friends that would come to our show would also be going to that show and because we, um, they're our friends. So I think what we're going to do, we might play late since Prospect Park, the band shell, closes early because of the curfew we might go on at like 11 or something which is a weird late thing for all of us um i don't think it's been decided yet but i know um we get some of our pals from prospect park to come by so maybe we'll see if that happens um anyway that'll be fun uh let me see looking at my list oh i haven't even gotten to music oh i should bring this up that um my mobile phone thing ran out after the 22 minute mark because it said I reached 640 bars, which was the max. So I'm actually going to attempt to do some like um, some actual mixing here, and because so this is technically a new track I just started recording a few minutes ago. So we'll see if it works. Anyway, media quickly on books. I started reading Half a Million Strong by Gina Arnold, which came out last year. It seems like it was written like six years ago or so, but it's this woman's um. She's a Bay Area sort of um, music critic. She's written some other books. Um, it's basically like an academic look at the power, so to speak, of the crowd at rock festivals over the you know the history of the rock era. And it's pretty interesting. Um, it's very interesting. Some of it is a little too academic. Like they didn't de-academicize it enough for general release. Like you know, not everything needs to be cited. Like if something's bad, you don't need to cite someone saying. And they say it's bad on page 96 of this. But um, overall, it's pretty good. Um, but I'm halfway through it. The Us Festival chapter was very interesting. She talks about how um, Steve Wozniak, who started that festival, there was only really two festivals in 82 and 83. Steve Wozniak, of course, the co-founder of Apple, and he really attempted to make this a Woodstock of the West that also incorporated a lot of tech Um um, which was and computer stuff, which was not a like sort of we take it for granted that these things all come together now, which is kind of the power of Apple. Um, but it was none of these things were really connected culturally until the US festival, um, at least on a mass scale. Like before, you know, famously, like people that developed the internet, um, many of them were deadheads. So, like, you know, you, there's like the stories about like Stanford and MIT people, like, you know, exchanging set lists. Um, in the in the earliest days of sort of of the internet, um, but the S festivals were is one of the first first if not the first major attempts to sort of incorporate um, and sort of institute this forced marriage on a very large cultural scale. Um, so it's it's a very interesting chapter, and if you don't want to spend the eighteen twenty dollars on this kind of short paperback. Um, get it at the library or like find it, borrow it or get an e-copy. But it's it's worth it so far. It's 
especially for this Us Festival chapter, um, if you're at all into either music, festivals, or um, tech, it's 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 fascinating. Um, anyway, music. Uh, listen to a lot of music this week. Chris Forsyth, um, the Philly guitarist, who is sort of mildly in this sort of indie jam new scene right now. Um, all-time present, his new record, which came out last week, and I had listened to the NPR preview, first listen. It's really good. It's mostly instrumental, a um, few songs with vocals. Great, great song. Great, great album, I mean. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I listened to the new uh, Mekons album, Deserted, their first album in like six years. Really good. Sounds like the Mekons. Great drumming, as always, from Steve Goulding, my neighbor. Um, not super close neighbor he lives like four blocks over but great guy who i met a few years ago via my niece because my niece is friends with um his daughter and when i ran into him when i first was introduced to him at a party upstairs at my brother and sister-in-law's house i was like can i please ask you about what it was like to record the drums for watching the detectives by elvis costello and he laughed and he said of course ask away and i was like all right tell me everything about it. And he told this great story about how they rehearsed it in Elvis's tiny studio or rehearsal room in Fulham, London in like 1977. And anyway, it's just like, wow, I'm hearing the story of how the song was recorded by the guy that freaking played that awesome drum track that I played a million times as a kid on my drums. So anyway, but the new Mekons record is great. Um, uh, what else did I listen to? Oh, the best album I listened to in the past two weeks by a mile is um, Absolute Zero by Bruce Hornsby. It is so forward-thinking. It is like, and it stylistically moves all over the map. It goes to a lot of different places, but it remains cohesive. Um, the first song has Jack, Jack DeJeanette playing drums, which is insane. Um, Justin Vernon's on two tracks as well, in like that April bass Eau Claire, Wisconsin crew, which is like Justin Vernon, Brad Cook. Um, JT Bates, a drummer in Minneapolis, who's an awesome person who I've never met, but um, I know him from the internet, kind of. And anyway, those two songs sound kind of like Bon Iver with Bruce Hornsby singing. <clears throat> anyway, I highly recommend Absolute Zero by Bruce Hornsby. I can't wait to go see him at National Sawdust here in Williamsburg. Um, I think that show's on the 29th and 30th. I'm going to the 29th with... Old pal Scott Lapatine from Stereo Gum and fellow Bruce Hornsby fan. Um, let's see, I listen to a bunch of singles. Um, oh, I listened to a new Trey Anastasio record from Fish. He has a thing called Ghost of the Forest. Um, pretty interesting. Glad I listened to it. Probably won't listen to it too much again, but there's two very long songs on there. The second track is 10 minutes long. The last song on the album, which I think is track 10, is like is literally 23 minutes long, which I think might be the link that Echoes by Pink Floyd is, which is the last song on metal. So I kept thinking of like, it's funny how that track, that distant, that timing triggered that memory. Um, I mean, I'm not sure that Echoes is 23 minutes, but either way, that's what it made me think of. Um, pretty good. I, I admire him for just always wanting to do stuff. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> yeah, pretty good. If you think you'll like it, you'll like it. If you think you should listen to it, give it a listen. Um, I don't think it'll convert any non-believers, but I think it's good stuff nonetheless. I listened to some singles, the new Rock on Tours, which I did not think I would like because I 
don't really love Jack White stuff that's beyond the first three White Stripes albums as as sort of like cliche, like snobby as that sounds, but um, it's really good. And I like the Greenhorn, so I like the rhythm section in this band. Um, listen to the new Tame Impala, which people say sounds like Supertramp, which I guess it kind of does. I don't love it, but it's more of a subjective thing. Didn't reach out, didn't grab me, but I can see why people like it. Um, listen to the new Syncane song, which I loved. Um, it's really cool, and it has like a searing Fire on the Mountain-esque guitar solo. And listen to the new Baby Dayliner, who's an old pal from the East Village and who's on Brassland. <clears throat> and he's a longtime national favorite, like Matt Berninger favorite. He's just this like native New Yorker who combines like R&B, sort of like almost jazz, kind of a hip hop beat, dance, just cult, club culture, nighttime, super cool 50s crooner style stuff. So good. Um, the new single is called Stress X Life, i.e. Stress Times Life. Um, I loved it. If you're curious at all about Baby Dayliner, his big hit, so to speak, is called You Push, I'll Go. And man, like it's one of those songs where I think like everyone would like it. Um, you should check that song out. Um, and I guess that's it. Um, don't want to run on too much longer. I will say that... Um, Sort of big personal news is my old, old friend Gus suffered a stroke um, a week and a half ago. <clears throat> he's like young. He's like 40, um, 39 or something. And um, uh, he was part of the very old firstheavy.com family. Like a bunch of us worked there. Um, he was almost the only employee before me. It was like Ryan Honey, Gus, me. And... Um, and Ryan's a guy that I went to high school with and lived in London with. Um, so anyway, Gus is someone I hadn't seen in a while, but you feel very close to him in the way you do with like just old friends and family you haven't seen in ages. And anyway, suffered a pretty bad stroke. Like he was in a coma for a week and a half until literally earlier this evening. I got a text, group text message, sort of like, you know, we're all being given updates on his condition and he woke up. Um, how he's doing, I'm not sure. I'm going to hopefully go visit him um, in the hospital in Manhattan. But um, anyway, so Gus has been, Gus and my old crew and just sort of the idea of mortality and how anything can happen at any time has been weighing on my mind. Um, he was uninsured, which obviously stinks and is obviously just another I don't even want to get into what's wrong with this country in terms of that, but um, if you're if if you're all at all curious, you can go to his GoFundMe page and at least just read about him. Um, the sort of uh the subdomain it's like GoFundMe dot com slash whatever it is, but it's Team Gustavo G U S like Gus G U S T A V O Gustavo Team Gustavo. Um, yeah, if you wanted to check it out. Uh, anyway, so guess that's it. Um, wish me luck with trying to piece this together with these two, um, <clears throat> these two sound files. So if you hear something odd happen around the twenty-two minute five second mark um, around the playground <laughs> thing, and then before I start talking about the Phils and Phils gig. That's where I'm going to be trying to splice these two things together. Um, you know, I've played music forever, and like I've always played with people that obviously know their way around Pro Tools and stuff. But 
I'm no, I'm kind of clumsy with all this and inexperienced, so we'll see if it works. But anyway, um, guess that's it. Maybe I'll try and do a flash surprise podcast from Cincinnati. I'm going to Cincinnati next week to visit my family. Um, anyway, so yeah, this has been episode 19 of the Conrad Life Report. April 17th, 2019, this time uh, the apartment location has been the bedroom. So reporting from the bedroom. Um, Have a great week or two and see you next time.